But welcome once again to, uh, to Marin Covenant. And um, if you have been with us for the last few weeks, we are in the Summer in the Psalms series. In fact, if you've been, been with us in the, uh, the last few summers, we typically will do Summer in the Scriptures. But then uh, we were thinking, oh, well, let's um, take a new spin on this and do Summer in the Psalms. So we've been looking at um, the Psalms as a, uh, as a biblical, as, as a scriptural genre um, you know, the Psalms aren't specifically meant to be taken as a historical documentation of something that happened, although, the, uh, you know, history will, will, um, will feed into to what they're about. But the Psalms, as Pastor Jeff introduced the series to us, are um, spiritual poetry. So it's a genre where these are reflections that were written by a psalmist. Um, King David wrote many of them, but there are other unknown psalmists as well. And, and these reflections are little snippets, little snapshots of the psalmist's greater overarching story of their journey with God. So, you know, when the psalmist is writing this reflection, um, they're in, in full disclosure with the Lord and bringing everything that they're um, not just feeling, but bringing their, their, their experiences and um, and, uh, and being with God in that. And some of them are really super high energy, you know, we praise you, Lord. Um, you know, the, the worship team led us in both the beginning and the end of Psalm 118 today. You know, that's a, what I think of as an up high uh, worship and praise psalm. But then there are other psalms that are really low. In fact, some of them are so low. I was saying, sharing with the first gathering, I read a psalm yesterday that's not in, our, in this specific plan, but I read a psalm, and I forgot that there was this really horrific thing in there that, that, the, uh, that the psalmist was, um, was confessing or saying that they wanted to do. And I was like, that is awful. That's horrible. Who put that in the Bible? That's not inspiring at all. But the reality is this, the, the psalmist is bringing um, you know, all of themselves to the Lord, including the ugly stuff. So we have the psalms as these little segments of the psalmist's greater overarching, uh, overarching story, the, the epic story of their lives. And we're all, you know, children on a journey. We all have an epic story. And if we sat here and, and shared our, our life story, we would see that everybody's story is, is epic. Um, so if, if you look at epic genre of, of story, whether it be literature or movies or whatever, I don't read a whole lot of literature, so I'm going to lowbrow it and, and use a movie reference. Um, but if we look at the overarching story of, uh, of, of any exciting story, it's going to contain a handful of the same types of movements that we would recognize in any epic story. There's going to be the beginning where there's some kind of establishment, uh, establishing a, a trouble or a problem. Um, then it's going to move into who are we going to root for in this story? Who's the protagonist? Who are we hoping is going to be victorious in the story? And then we get to the battle scene, and now that we have CG uh, and uh, in the movies, the battle scenes seem to be longer than they used to be, and, uh, and they're typically up and down, and um, you know, there's always the moment where we think that there's going to be a, a victory, and then phew, something happens, and no, the battle continues. And then we have that moment where the, it looks like the, the, the protagonist, the hero, is, is doomed. It's over. It's done. But then... There's that sneak ending where they slip in, you know, how they're going to be victorious. And it reminds me of the old cheesy 80s movies or, uh, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, right before they, they uh, come back and, and win the, battery, there's, uh, the battle, there's some cheesy, um, you know, catchphrase like, 
hasta la vista, baby. And the audience cheers, and, and that's the end of the battle. And then there's the victory, the, 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 the celebration. Yes, we have, we've won this. And, and the hero is, is hoisted up and, and, and carried and celebrated. But then at the very end of an epic story, at the end, there's usually some type of uh, an epilogue where we get to see that after this victory and after all of this story that has transpired, there's something that's different now. It's, it's kind of a, and therefore, it's a new paradigm. Therefore, there is a, is a new way of living, and things are always going to be different from this moment forward. And I love in, uh, in the, uh, my personal favorite uh, movie genre are the, um, you know, about true stories. And you know the, the deal when, when the, it's a true story or based on a true story and, and it fades to black. And right before we get to the credits, there's the black screen and those white letters come out, right? The white words, and they, they give us the therefore. I haven't seen the, the new Fred Rogers movie uh, documentary, but I hope that there's something like that. Because something like Fred Rogers comes along and, and he changes things. He, he created a, a new paradigm. And so there's this therefore moment where things are going to be different. Well, I've been looking at Psalm 118, and uh, in my mind, I think of this as a therefore psalm. Because when I read Psalm 118, if I come to this, the, the scriptures just cold and, you know, well, I better read my Bible, and I open it up to Psalm 118, and I see all this victory language and the Lord is so good and his love endures forever, and it's just all really up high up here in energy world which isn't my personal love language. I tend to be a little more ho-hum, a little more in the middle. And I tend to have a, a, almost a trust issue of people who are so energetic, it's way up here. It's, there's something in me, in me that wants to be like, yeah, well, I'm not ready to go there just yet. So, uh, but when I look at Psalm 118, I, I would think, what is it about this psalm that is so over the top in praise and adoration for our Lord? So I did a little research. I was encouraged to do um, by my spiritual director, who I meet with once a month, to do some research into this, not pr this particular psalm, but do some research into the psalms. If there's something in there where I'm like, where does that come from? There's usually some type of historical tie-in or, or a guesstimation of, you know, when this psalmist uh, wrote this psalm, it was right about the time when this was happening, and so we can kind of read into maybe what inspired that. So I got in this habit where I would sit with my, uh, with my daily reading, and I like to read on my iPad because if there's something that I don't know what it means, I could just flip over, uh, you know, on uh, a browser and do, do a little web research. It's the internet. can't believe everything you see on the internet. But you can, you can get in there and you can, you know, g try to get some kind of background of what might be transpiring here. So as I looked at Psalm 118 uh, in preparation for this message, I did some more research, and here's what I found. Psalm 118 is what I consider to be the therefore of a larger epic uh, collection of psalms. In Hebrew tradition, they have what they called the Egyptian Hallel. So the Egyptian Hallel are Psalms 113 through 18. There's six psalms. And what had happened was, even though these psalms were written by different psalmists at different times, what happened was in the overarching history of Israel, um, about the 6th century uh, B.C., when um, uh, Babylon, uh, the Babylonian Empire, conquers Jerusalem, 
hauls everybody away. Can you imagine being carted across the desert 500 miles and you're marching across the desert from your home? Jerusalem's destroyed. It's over. Well, God brings them back. God brings them back to Jerusalem. And, it, and that in itself is, a, is an epic story. And, uh, but at, when they came back from Babylon, they, um, they collected all of the scriptures, all the holy books that they had. And then some, some editor, some redactor, put Psalm 113 through 18 in this particular order. And as, as people read it in Hebrew tradition, they began to see that, oh, I get it. These six psalms, they tell the epic story about how we, Israel, were in bondage and slavery. That we were, we were captives in Egypt. We were brought low. And it tells the story, the whole entire story of how they were freed. And then with the Hallel, traditionally, the Hebrew people would, um, even into Jesus' time, they would not only have these psalms memorized, but they would sing them. So if you can imagine memorizing six entire psalms, um, but, they, but they put them to kind of a chant and a, and a song. It's always easy to, easier to remember things when they're put in a song format, like when you're studying for an exam or whatever. And uh, so they would have put all of this into um, a, a song. And, and the, the, the Hebrew people at certain festivals, certain um, times of the year, certain holidays, they would sing and chant the, the Egyptian Hallel. Um, the, so the word Hallel, it looks familiar, right? Hallel. It's close to hallelujah. So hallel just means praise be to God, right? It's praise, hallel is praise. But then we would say hallelujah, which is an abbreviated form of Yahweh. So when we say hallelujah, we're saying praise be to Yahweh or praise the Lord. So which I always wondered that when I first became a believer. I was like, why are people always saying hallelujah and praise the Lord all the time? What kind of cult have I gotten myself into? But then I realized... It's, there's a 3,000-plus-year there's a tradition of, of saying this, that it's a praise be to God. Man, God deserves our praise. So that's the background on what the, the Hallel is. But the last thing before I give you a little thumbnail sketch of how the Hallel, the Hallel works with the various psalms is that in Jesus' time, he and the disciples would have, they would have this memorized. It was, it was a regular part of their worship. It was as common to them as, say, like if we started singing Amazing Grace and we didn't have the words on the screen, we could probably get through it because it's so ingrained in our, in our life and our, our culture. Well, the Hallel, they could just, everybody could sing the Hallel. It just was a common thing that everybody knew. And uh, um, when they would have celebrated the Passover feast, they would have first before the meal sung the beginning of the Hallel. And after the meal, they would have sung the, the end of the Hallel, the therefore and when Jesus and the, and the uh, disciples would have celebrated the, the Last Supper, which we'll celebrate later in the gathering at the Lord's table, they would have sung Psalm 118 at the end of the Last Supper. Sorry, I'm getting a little choked up. Can you imagine being Jesus singing Psalm 118 and talking about the cornerstone and then going out to do the Lord's work? I mean, that was the night that Jesus was betrayed. It just was this big mashup of, of, of everything all at once. But anyhow, I'm getting ahead of myself. So there's the, the background on the, the Egyptian Hillel. Now this is the, if we look at the ark, remember we had like the, what's the problem? Who's the protagonist? What's the battle? If we look at, uh, at how this folds out, Psalm 113 and 14 are kind of meshed together as the establishing of what the problem is. Israel was in bondage. They were 
slaves. They had no hope, no help whatsoever. And it talks about being made low, just being, being low. Psalm 115 um, it tells the story about how they cried out to their idols for help and got no answer because the idols weren't real, because they didn't have ears to hear, they didn't have eyes to see, they didn't care, they weren't real. But they cried out to their God, Yahweh, and Yahweh saved them. And Yahweh was a different God because he didn't, uh, there was no idol that represented Yahweh, right? There was no little statue or nothing you could hold in your hand and say, my God is with me. So it was a real game changer that they cried out to Yahweh, and Yahweh, unlike the idol, saved. Then we, uh, then we get to um, Psalm 116 as the battle was won, and uh, it reflects upon when um, they were chased out of Egypt by Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea and how God defeated their their army there, and uh, it tells the story about how um, uh, at the, um, uh, what's the name of the city? I'm blinking out on the name, the, where the walls came tumbling down. Jericho. It, so it reflects on all of that, and the battle is won. The battle has been won, and that not only is it won, but that it sings this joy of God's generosity to do that. God didn't have to do that. God, they, be, they began to see that, oh my gosh, our God must love us to do this for us. And then in Psalm 117, it's one, it's, well, actually it's one of the shortest psalms. It's only a, a few verses, a couple of few verses. And it gives this invitation, not just to Israel to praise the name of the Lord, but to all nations. All nations praise the Lord. Everyone is invited. You don't have to just be an insider. It's an open door, and anyone can praise the Lord. So then it gets finally to Psalm 118, the therefore psalm. And after this great reflection of, of thanks and praise, it, it gets to just this epic thing like, oh my gosh, therefore, I, I owe all of myself to you, Lord, and I, but more than just owing, I want to give myself. I want to give you all I can give. I want to praise you. You're amazing to me. And so, you know, me being kind of like Mr. Level, ho, ho, hum, not super excitable, I needed to know what made this person so excited to be able to say, you know, bless the Lord in the way that they did. And it all comes from this process of thanksgiving. When, uh, on Thursday nights, when our worship team gathers to, uh, to practice, um, we don't just jump up here and crack our knuckles and, and lead work, practice worship, but first we spend some time together. And uh, we have a room behind this wall, uh, we call it the green room, and we gather in there and uh, we typically will, you know, see how everybody's doing, find out anything that's happening in their lives, because it's just weird to jump up and play worship if we're not even connected at all. And, uh, but one of the things that we'll do is we will often have some kind of a scripture or a devotion, and we'll, um, often we'll just, simple process of, we'll read the scripture, and then we'll talk about what kinds of things um, do we notice? Or what kinds of things does God ignite in, in us? And it's amazing when you sit in a group with, you know, eight to 12 people, and there's all these different reflections, and it's, and, um, it, it's almost too much. It's like, wait, I just want to have one meaning for this scripture. Can we simplify? But it's not like that. Everybody's got a different view because we're all children on a journey. We all have a different view. But we gathered uh, this last week, and uh, as a very rare opportunity that I actually got to, as the, I'm going to preach this text uh, of Psalm 118, and so I, I went to the worship team and said, what do you guys see in this? And man, our, our, first of all, 
brag moment. Our, our worship team people, these are worshiping people, right? Every single one of our worship team has such depth of, of spirit, and it's something that, um, that we all cultivate together. So anyway, that's neither here nor there. I just wanted you to know that our worship team are worshipers. Um, but as we talked over the psalm, somebody said something that really stuck out to me, um, and it seems really obvious, is that thanksgiving, the process of giving thanks, it requires us to go through a, a remembrance process where, in a, in a way, you're kind of reliving a little uh, segment of something. You, you have to, we can't just give thanks without remembering what it is that we're giving thanks for. And especially if we spend an, um, a, a, a moment, several moments of reflecting on something that we're thankful for, it can kind of bring you back to that, that moment. I know for me, this happens with, with horrible feelings, like, you know, remembering a time where I was wronged or where I was really angry. And sometimes, like, you can get all worked up, and for me, my palms start to sweat if I remember something that made, made me really angry. Well, it's the same thing with Thanksgiving. If, we, if we're going to go through the process of giving thanks to God for something, if we, if we actually spend some time reflecting upon that, it helps us to relive what that is, what that was. And so that's what the idea between the Egyptian Hillel was for the Jewish people, is they, never, they wanted to never forget what they'd been redeemed from. Even up to... You know, a thousand years after that psalm was written, they're still reciting the Egyptian Hallel. God, you saved us. You brought us into this open place. So Thanksgiving, it requires us to remember. It requires taking a moment of reflection. And um, so in just a moment, I'd like to read over us um, Psalm 118, just so you can sort of receive this spiritual poetry. Let it wash over you. But before we do... Two, two things that we might want to consider. If it's been a while, if you, if, you're a, if you consider yourself a follower of Christ, if it's been a while since you've reflected on what God redeemed you from, right? Some of us in this room, if we were to share the, the stories of what, what we've been redeemed from, we would have some pretty amazing stories. I mean, that would be epic. So, as we hear this psalm, if it's been a while since you've reflected on what you've been redeemed from, I invite you to do that. And then, there's always the possibility that somebody here might be saying, dude, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't think I've been redeemed from anything. Then maybe a good question for you would be, what is it that God wants to redeem me from? Or, God, I have this thing that I want you to redeem me from. So hear the word of the Lord, let this wash over you, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It is better to take refuge in the Lord 
than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. And in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live. and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. So with bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Right? So it's this really up high praise. Oh, you know, got to stand on your tippy toes to get it up on that top shelf praise. But I always, excuse me, I always struggled with that because I, I hadn't, I don't think I did, I hadn't done the work. I hadn't done the, not just the reflective piece and the studying and everything, but I hadn't got in that moment to go, man, what have I been redeemed from? Anyway, the Egyptian Hillel, that is why Israel uses it the way that they do and, 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 and why they kept it ever before them. I will never forget to celebrate God's love for me. It's a celebration. And uh, I love the, the worship set that our worship team put together this week. Um, and it, it, it is, it's a celebration of God's love because where else can we go to find a love that will never fail? a love that, uh, that will endure forever. There's nowhere else. It's with God and God alone. So when we give thanks to, to God, um, like we sang, it, it wakes us up from, from our sleep. And when we slip into a mode where we're not being worshipers, like when we're so busy, so consumed, too busy to, to, to spend just a few minutes and reflect on what the Lord has done for us, to reflect on his un unending love, we just get lulled to sleep, right? And in this day and age, we're, we're talking so much about being woke, which is awesome. If we're woke to God's love for us, we're going to be supremely woke. Thanksgiving for God's love, it awakens us. It moves us from 
It moves us from just being thankful and gratitude into being a, a different kind of worshiper. When we're genuinely filled with gratitude and when we really wrap our, our, our mind and our heart around what the Lord has done, which is one of the reasons we celebrate the Lord's table, when we really get there, it doesn't just make us thankful. It makes us worshipers. It makes us um, figuratively fall to our knees before the Lord. It's what makes us decide that, Lord, I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to give you all of myself. So we're moved from just gratitude into, into, into praise, into hallelujah. The other thing that celebrating God's love does for us is it brings us to the gate of righteousness, which we just read in the psalm. So let's talk a little bit about the gate of righteousness, because when I first, a few years back, probably four or five years ago, when I first got all excited about Psalm 118, what intrigued me was this idea of open for me the gate of righteousness. I will enter and give me thanks. I remember thinking, oh my gosh, there's a gate? There's some kind of gate? I mean, I figured it wasn't a literal gate, but there, is there some kind of, you know, me, um, metaphorically speaking, spiritually speaking, some kind of gate that I can go through so that I can, um, I don't know, I just I want all that God has for me. Is there, if there's a gate, I want to know where it is, what it is, how do I get through it? So I did a little research um, on what the gate, what actually what, when this psalm was written, how Israel maybe would have received that idea of a gate. What would they have thought that that was in reference to? And what it's in reference to is um, if we look at the, the tabernacle, so in uh, what is it, Exodus 25 through 27, there are some very specific instructions that the Lord gave through Moses of how to build the tabernacle. Because he had brought them out of Egypt where they had idols that were represented by like a little statue or something. But, but Yahweh didn't want a graven image. Instead, Yahweh said, I'm going to be with, I'm actually going to dwell with you and, and you're going to build for me a tabernacle, a place that I can dwell. So this was, I mean, this is kind of old for us. We've seen it. Most of us have seen this before. But for them, that would have been, oh my gosh, that would have been such a, a, a game changer. What? God is with me and, and, he, and he lives here? So, um, so we have the, the tabernacle, we have this fence, we have the, the outer court in front, and in the back you have the Holy of Holies, and uh, of course there's an altar. But if we look at the very front, um, scripture says there was a 30 cubit wide gate, and they called it the entrance gate. Good name for the entrance gate, right? <laughs> Good name for an entryway, the entrance gate. And um, so what we would have seen when it was offering time, because you see the altar there with the smoke coming up, um, when it was time, when the people were called for offering, to, to bring their offering, or for certain you know, festivals and holidays and, and whatnot, there would have been a lineup of people <coughs> In, in front, leading up into that gate. So there have been a, a procession of, of worshipers as they are bringing offerings to God. And, you know, that may have looked like, um, you know, an armful of, I don't know, something, grain or whatever. It may have been like an animal with a rope that you're going to lead up there and they're going to sacrifice that animal. It could have been a number of different things. Um, but it would have been this messy, bumpy procession of of people um, leading up into that entrance gate. And what's really great that I hadn't realized before is that any Israelite, whether they, were, had, whether they had been cleansed with a, a sin offering or whatever, didn't matter. Any old Israelite could walk through that gate into the court of the Lord. 
You didn't have to be cleaned up first. You didn't have to have your act together. All you had to do was to bring an offering of thanks, and no one was making you get into that procession line. Nobody may, it wasn't, it wasn't like you better get in that line. It was people that wanted to, that wanted to, to bring that offering. And so if there is a gate of thanks, this is how Israel would have, would have seen that. And just to spend some time thinking about the, what this implies is, is pretty huge. That means that there's, there's a procession of thanks that we can, when we're ready, we can choose to get into that procession. And often we get to a point where we realize, you know what, I've been watching a procession. I've been watching worship. I've been watching this. But I think it's time for me to get into that. I have a story I want to tell, but I don't think I could get through it without breaking down and crying like a baby. But, um, but there's a, there comes a time when we recognize, I've been watching the procession. It's time for me to get in the procession. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. And again, we don't have to go through that. We don't have to be righteous to get through the gate. It's on the other side in our offering, and our Lord receives the offering, and we're made righteous by God's righteousness. He gives us his righteousness, right? If I was Jeff, I'd say, come on. <laughs> come on, church. <laughs> Open for me the gates of the righteous, and I will enter. I will enter. Nobody's forcing me to enter. I'm choosing to move from, therefore, I'm choosing from just thanks. I'm going to be a hallelujah-er. I will enter through the gate. Now, this leads me to my absolute favorite part of Psalm 118, and it has to do with down at the end with verse 27. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. What the heck is that all about? Like, I read, I read this and go, I don't know what bows in it. Oh, I don't know what that's all about. Festival procession, I don't get what that is, and I don't know what the horns of the altar are. So I did a little research. I'm a researcher, if you uh, haven't been able to tell. So a festal offering in, uh, in the Hebrew tradition would have been, so first of all, we have that word festival. It's like festival, where we get festival or feast. Or, or festive, a festal offering were those specific offerings that were called at certain, on certain holidays um, or at certain times where the offering that the people brought, it wasn't just come in, bring your offering, and leave. It was come in, bring your offering. The priest uh, would, would prepare what you brought for offering and would offer part of it and set part of it aside. And then everyone would stay afterward and there would be this feast from the festal offerings. So the people, God's people, got to partake in the very offering that they had brought to the Lord. So they brought this offering of thanks and praise and the Lord turns back around and says, I love you, have a party have a feast, have a potluck. It's basically like a potluck because people would have brought all these different things and then they would have stayed and there was, you know, it, it said that, um, it said that uh, that whole front area around the altar in the courtyard sometimes was just filled, was stacked 
with all of this stuff. Because you can imagine, if you know it's a festal offering, this, is, I, this hit me last service, I hadn't thought about this. If you know it's a festal offering, if you know you get to partake in everything that, that you bring, you're going to bring something awesome, right? Everyone would be like bringing all of the best stuff because they know they get to stay. And on the one hand, that's kind of like, oh, you know, you should have brought your, you know, well, you should have brought your best offering regardless. But, I mean, come on, if, if you know that what you bring to the Lord, the Lord is going to take that, and because he loves you so much, he's going he's to let you enjoy it with him. If we look at Scripture, if we look at the New Testament and uh, the Gospels, look in the Gospels and see how many meals Jesus has with people. How many times they sit and, they, and, and it's, it's communion. It literally is the Lord's table, communion. Eucharist, it's a Thanksgiving meal. Oh, anyway, I could talk about this for, for a long time. Um, so, so there's the, uh, there's the uh, what, was, uh, what did the verse say? Um, uh, so we had the bows in hand. So that's the festal procession. So the, the procession would have been the lineup into the, into the tabernacle. With bows in hand, what's that all about? And as I looked at different, um, uh, we have our NIV translation here. And as I looked at different translations, often the translations will say cords. Bind, bind your offering to, to the altar with cords. But there's something different about the NIV view because um, it, it, they're picking up on, the translators have picked up on clues that this was a festal offering. And so they wouldn't have just brought this just ordinary rope or whatever. They would have brought, they would have brought like uh, garland or, or branches or something. And as they would have come up to the, to the altar, let's take a look at the altar, the horns of the altar. So... Um, they would have brought their offering up to this altar and they would have strapped on their, possibly strapped on their offering to, that, to the altar, binding their offering of thanks to the Lord. And um, so let's talk about the horns for a second. So again, Exodus 25 through 27, very specific instructions from the Lord of how to construct that altar. And he said to put horns on each of the corners of the altar doesn't tell us why. Doesn't tell us what, it's, what they're there for. And I love when the Lord leaves things mysterious like that. But the ancient world would have recognized that the horn as a symbol of strength, of power. And not just strength and power, but a symbol of victory, final victory, and a symbol of um, uh, solace. Or what's the word I'm looking for? You know, like when you're playing tag with your friends and there was always bass? So if you're on touching base, you, you, you know, base, I'm safe. Um, refuge, that's the word I'm looking for. It's a place of refuge. So Israel knew, in fact, there are a couple examples in, I think it's 1 Kings, where if you were wrongly accused of a, uh, of a crime, you could run through, run up through that gate and you could grab onto the horn of the altar and you were at base. You, were, you, had, um, you had refuge on the horn of the altar. So it's this symbol of strength and power, and we can bring our offering of thanks and praise and worship to the Lord. And, and God doesn't say, here, give me that offering. I'm going to bind it. He's, God says, let's bind, let's, let's us take the initiative. When we're good and ready, when we're inspired enough that we want to do this, to join in this festal procession, let's bring our offering and bind it to the Lord. Let's bind ourselves to God with this offering of thanks and praise. Isn't that awesome? We're bound to that symbol of strength and praise. 
And then Jesus, um, you know, we, we, don't have to, we don't have to go through these uh, rites and rituals anymore because Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection, he was the fulfillment of all of these, and it was, it was done. It was done. In fact, if we think about how Jesus willfully went through the procession to his death on the cross, was willfully bound to the cross as the once and for all final sacrifice. And now he allows us, as we bring our offering of thanks and praise, he allows us to partake in all of those blessings that he has for us. And the Lord's table is a perfect embodiment of that because um, we bring, and there's even a procession too, right? There's, there's a procession up to the horns of the altar, so to speak, not this table. Jesus is the horn. Christ is the, is the symbol of strength and power and victory and refuge. And we bind ourselves to Jesus, to the person of Jesus. And then guess what he does? He says, I'm going to share myself with you. It's a festal offering. We get to enjoy not just the benefits of what we bring, we get to enjoy better than that. Because Jesus says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to dwell with you. We are tabernacles. And God dwells with us. That should blow our minds. And that should move us from being just thankful. Oh, thanks God for dying on the cross for me. No, it makes us into worshipers. It makes us into hallelujahers because therefore... Everything will be different from here on out. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, um, he would have, before they had their Passover meal with the, uh, with the disciples, they would have sung Psalm 113 and 114, the first part of the Egyptian Hallel, so that they could remember what they'd been redeemed from. And then... Jesus took the bread, and after he had given thanks, he would have taken the bread and broken it. He said, this is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, after the meal, he would have taken the cup, and after he'd given thanks, he would have said, this is my blood. This is the new covenant in my blood. This is the therefore. Everything will always be different. It's my covenant with you. And as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And then he and the apostles would have sang Psalm 118 before Jesus went out to do his work on the cross. Whew, that's a lot. As often as we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. More importantly, we proclaim that he's alive in us. Right? All right. As we sing, come and receive the Lord's table. <laughs>